Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Hi, I'm James Brewster. Welcome to our podcast series, Mostly Talk. Learn more about what we do online at mostly.consulting. This episode, I'm talking to Madeline Black, the Courage Cultivator, author of Unbroken and TEDx Glasgow Speaker. We chat about family, life in Glasgow, her TEDx talk, and what she's been up to in 2020. That's how I always work as well. <laughs> I always like to just check it's all working. Let me turn my phone down, get my cup of tea. Perfect. Yeah. I, I just hit record, but you can edit out the start stuff if there's... Whatever. Yeah. I, I quite like the informalness of it all, and you're just chatting away, and it's just normal. Um, okay. <laughs> how, are you, how are you, though? You look well. I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I just had a mad dash. I've been at the gym at eight, and I've got back about quarter past nine, but I've washed my hair, had my shower, and here I am. So... And did, is the gym reopening? Is that a new thing for you? Or is it that... is, yes. And my trainer was coming to my back garden with me and my girls, and we were doing a little boot camp in the back garden. But it's open from Monday, and he said, "Do you want to come back to the gym?" I thought, "Yeah, why not? It's easier." And it's raining today, so I thought, "Oh, actually, better to be inside." And but it's harder again, though. Obviously, the weights are different. So uh, yeah, tired. And my body's sore. Girls go with you. Your daughters to go there with you? Uh, well, no. They, I started at eight. Normally, we were doing nine o'clock in the garden. Sometimes they came. So, uh, yeah. Actually, my oldest one comes. She doesn't live with me. She picks me up and she's there for eight as well. Oh, well. Because I, I don't know. I met you in 2019. So, I've got two young boys. They're like two and four. Okay. And a third on way. Oh, uh, so nice. A daughter this time, right? So, um, so you... Your, your kids are a bit older, obviously. They're... They are, yeah. Anna's 27. She just got engaged. So I'm going to be a mother-in-law soon, which makes me feel very old. Wow. And Mimi is 24. She's just finished her architecture uh, master's whilst in lockdown, which was tough. And Layla's 19. Luckily, well, she was travelling, but uh, she's finished school. She goes to uni September the 14th, 19th. So I've just done the wow. IKEA shop yesterday and I've survived. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And yours are a different phase. Remember at TED, like, uh, there was a, were they with you? Your husband was there as well, I believe. Yeah, that? they were, and yeah. It, it was like a real family occasion, I guess, because you could tell. We watched it last night myself and my wife. Oh, did she, you? She wasn't there in Glasgow uh, at the at the, the, the uh-huh. SECP. Yeah, the... But, uh, okay. just it was just explaining to Lorraine, like, who, who I was speaking to today, and then I said, you should watch it. It's one of... I thought it was... Well, everyone said it on the day, you know, it was such a... Like it was really engaging, right? And it was so harrowing a story and, and you know, like we could summarize like you or you could summarize it if you want. Um, but it was like the whole audience was captivated and then it was emotional. Like I, I cried during it. I think I looked around and there's other people <laughs> in tears and you're like, wow, it's surreal, you know, and, and you can watch these things on the internet, etc. And you, you probably don't feel the energy because you're not around other people. So I sat and watched it with Lorraine and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, wow, it's it's such a powerful story and, and so inspirational for people who have, you know, not necessarily gone through something as bad as what you've went through, but mm-hmm. anything in life, whether it's neglect yeah. or abuse or, or so, bullying. Yeah, it's not or, about comparison, really. It's about, I always think it's about what we do with what happens to us, you know, and just to show people whatever happens to us, whatever kind of trauma, there's always a way out. There's always hope. Yes. And and uh, you came over really on. It's quite funny. Like to speak to you today, you're you're more naturally relaxed and yeah. You know, well, I was pretty nervous on the day, <laughs> but, but you put so much effort into it, you know, and you could tell, and everyone just was so engaged, and it was such a great talk. So well done. Yeah, I kind of felt a bit not guilty, but obviously it was a huge audience, two thousand people, and nobody gets any warning really of what the topics are going to be about. So mine might have made us some suggestion. I think it was called 
Unbroken, Speaking the Unspeakable. And that's the and book, they, your book's title's Unbroken. The book is that? called Unbroken, yeah. yeah. So we went with that and then it was called Speaking the Unspeakable because it's hard for people to speak about. And I think also for me anyway, I always connect with the TEDs or the TEDxs that are stories. When it's theories or it's something to do with, it, they don't stay with me, but I, I love stories. I love human stories and people's predicaments and how they've got over adversity. So these are the ones that always resonate with me anyway. So I think for me from the day, I remember stories. I really, I don't know if you stayed to the very end. I remember um, Amar, <laughs> I forgot his name there. Uh, his story was amazing. The young man who went blind at 18. Oh, mate, really good, yeah. An accountant who's now gone on to do amazing things. He was on MasterChef recently. He's been on Pilgrim. So uh, he just shows you that, you know, I think his was called limitless, that we are all limitless, that we can, you know, dream much higher than we dream. And that's what I, why I speak out, because I want to show people that we're all so much stronger, really, than we think we are. Yeah, and uh, it was really, it was, everyone said, I think Fred, uh, Fred McCauley and Claire English, they were on the stage afterwards, and it's just like this moment where they looked at each other and went, wow, you know, what do we say to that? Claire was my coach. So she had heard it many times, but even afterwards, when we went round the back, she was, oh my God, <laughs> she said, oh, you've got me again. So uh, yeah, she was- She's, she's uh, tremendous as well, isn't she? She's such a good person. I, I follow some of the, they do like these, like we debates with three or four people, TEDx Glasgow, and facilitates it. But she brings such humor and, and elegance and makes sure everyone's engaged and she's really yeah. good at there. So I, I, when I went for my, um, interview it that actually was scarier than the whole event i have to say it was me in a room of about seven tedx committee members and i i wasn't so great actually i'd, I'd been away i'd been in mexico for a wedding <gasps> these days are long gone and i'd come back i had like two days notice and i just thought well you know i, I share my story a lot i'll just do it you had to do five minutes and i could see by their faces that they thought it was rubbish <laughs> it was a bit shite and then they they um really after that, they, they told me that it wasn't what they thought it would be. And if I was prepared to work with a coach, they then spoke to me on Skype and then they called me and then eventually they Is obviously... It, would it always been your ambition to do a TED Talk? It was quite random you were being interviewed. And... I, had, I had applied once before, but I never got in. And a friend of mine knows Gurjeet, who is the organiser for TEDx Glasgow, one of the organisers. And I went to the, the year before the theme uh, launch party, but I was going to be away, actually another wedding, a lot of weddings. And um, yeah, it was, that was a nice one, that was in Tuscany, really beautiful wedding. But uh, right? I, oh, it was great. I was gonna be away. So I thought, okay, I'll apply again. And this time I didn't give much thought to the form. I just thought I'm not gonna get in, you know, my defeatist mentality. And I thought, I'll just fill it in see what happens. And then I was called back for an interview. But as I said, just like two days notice, it was like, okay. So I just went for it. So yeah, so it was, it was brilliant to have ticked that off my list because now I don't know how they can do them. They'll just do them online or do them in person, but you know, socially distanced or with lots of gaps in the audience. So yeah. there was something very powerful about standing in front of 2000 people. And, and you're a very good speaker. So have you done these things before or many speakers? I, well, I, I've worked as a psychotherapist for many years, but about a year and a half ago, which maybe not the best timing in the world, I decided to stop working as a therapist because I was being asked to speak more and more. Uh, and obviously the lockdown has happened. So all of my events, everything has been my calendars wiped out for this year. I've been in, to one school. I've done one in-person talk. Uh, that was the first one in six but months. Then I, I've got a friend, so it's a, he's a CB, he's a Marine for 33 years, and, and he's you know, coached the England hockey team, England, uh, I say coach, but he was there as an advisor to the England okay. hockey team, the England female hockey team, uh, the England, he's good friends with Gareth Southgate, so coached the England uh, football team to some extent, and the England rugby team for the World Cup, uh, so we're there with Sir Clive Woodward, if you follow your rugby, mm -hmm. and he's such a great guy, and, and, and so much experience like you. And then to have him on a Zoom call, I invited him to ePub. To have him on a Zoom call, people were just drawn in. And it was just this surreal energy. And, and you have this thing about you as well, your ability to tell your story. But you, do, you don't do virtual type things? I've done some, but to be honest, in the beginning, I really struggled with lockdown. I really had a tantrum about virtual and couldn't embrace it, you know, having to get the lights and the microphone and the cameras. And I just thought, oh, I hate it. It will go back to normal soon and then I can do in-person ones. But yes. clearly it's not going back to normal. So I have done lots. I mean, last week I was been away. Uh, we did a staycation in the Outer Hebrides, which was fabulous. But when I came back, 
the first day I was in the Philippines, I was in Sweden, then I was in Canada. Just like, they weren't all uh, events, but just, you know, catching up with people or Zoom talks. So I have done some. You know, that's immense. I think that blew my mind and I've had a difficult lockdown. I've been uh, counselling, psychiatrists, the works, yeah. right? I've had a really t- traumatic time in my head, yeah. but phenomenal because I started a business and I've had such like so many epiphanies and so many things about what I want to do with life. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's been traumatic. You know, we're in a house with two toddlers, my pregnant wife, and, and uh, we're, we're getting on great. We're in good health. Um, I don't want to scare your alarm or sound alarmist. Mm-hmm. But like uh, in the last, the same to you, same as you, you know, in the last month, I look back and it's like, I've been in New York, Chicago, Perth, Australia, yes. Delhi, uh, Nigeria, I've been to Lagos, I've been to Oslo, I've uh-huh. been in Germany. And no jet lag. And no jet lag. And then you come in my slippers. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, you can, you can engage with people, meet people, catch yeah. up with old friends, uh, present to clients. So you can, you know, it's like, there's so many benefits and we just have to see the positives in some ways. Absolutely. And, and that's what I eventually had to, had to give myself a good talking to and focus on what I can control, focus on what I have. Cause I'm, I'm okay. You know, I've got a house, food, money. We're okay. We're not struggling. And that really then I focus on all the people that aren't okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you, a lot of people. So what I did every day on my Facebook page, I did a thing called checking in around 11 o'clock, which I did for 17 weeks. I can't believe it. Every weekday, because I know as a therapist, a lot of people, once they were immobilized, once we were all forced to take this um, lockdown, you know, it wasn't voluntarily, and we become still a lot of unprocessed trauma can find its way up. And a lot of people struggled, as you know yourself, past issues or stuff they thought they dealt with or stuff that they tried to avoid and distract which we do in our you know, everyday life, we can move around and keep ourselves busy. We can avoid all these difficult places, but all these dark chapters and places that we don't want to go to had a way of bubbling to the surface. So I, I recognize a lot of people were struggling and me, myself included. So I just did this checking in thing and it really helped me actually, because it made me make sure I was up and dressed by 11, but it also it helped other people as well. What was the format? So it's just you post up the yard, what you're doing today, and then people comment? Or I just went on live on my public Facebook page. Oh, wow. I just called it checking in and just, I never had any format because I don't really, I'm not very organized like that. And I just <laughs> opened my gob and the words came out. And then eventually I had a lot of people online. Um, at one point, I don't know, they, I don't know what must have affected the algorithms. At one point it was like 125,000 people watching it. It was like, okay, this wow. is a bit. But then now it's got back down to 20. So I don't know, Facebook must have just had a little cracking their system that day so we're getting people from all over the world and then they were like supporting each other and it was just this amazing community so i better pop on i haven't been on for a few weeks i said i was just going to cut back once lockdown shifted and i would maybe just do once or twice a week because it was getting i just thought people had had enough of it every morning but they they liked it so i think community is really important and then you see that like i our whole streets now connected on whatsapp so different generations obviously and and obviously the NHS thing, it was quite politicised and some people didn't like it. But at the end of the day, it got people at the house and you, you made eye contact with someone. Yeah. Irrespective of the, the message, obviously everyone cares for the NHS, but it was, uh, it was powerful. And then the whole street's now connected. So it's like, yep. you know, we've got apples in our garden. We don't need them. Do you want yes, these apples? Absolutely. And, I started a WhatsApp group in my street. I live in a little dead end road and it was the same. And yeah. uh, when I came back from my holiday, sadly, one of my neighbours died and her husband had been unwell. So we assumed it was him, but it was her. Never a day's illness, just literally had a brain hemorrhage and died. Yeah. And so we popped in to see him before Glasgow went into this temporary lockdown. And he was telling his sister who was looking after him that I started this WhatsApp group and it's so helpful. And I just, we should have always had it really. I don't know why it took for that to happen. So, uh, but yeah, like, likewise, it's the same. I've bought too much of this or has anyone got this and all this kind of bartering going on and looking after each other. So it was good. Lots of conversations about when the bottle bank is getting emptied because <laughs> yeah. it still hasn't been empty since March we're all struggling with that but yeah we had like bin day you know everyone because it's so yeah. confusing about bins to go out and stuff yes. <laughs> so everyone was keeping each other right but these are the conversations we have yeah when's the bottle bin getting emptied my garage is overflowing <laughs> <laughs> and is there any so there's loads of bad things have happened during lockdown obviously or, or yeah. 2020 in general but for you what's been your favorite things like your your family you've obviously you've seen yeah. a lot more of them or 
We well, I had we had an empty nest. So one daughter came back from university. One was traveling, and she had to come home. So she was devastated. So I've kind of gone back to being a, a mama, I guess again, full time mama, looking after them, feeding everyone, making sure they're all okay. And that was great to start with, but then it kind of pissed me and off. You can tell but, I don't know much about your family, but you can tell on TED Talk the bloody hell you've got a tightly knit family. The girls look up to you so much, right? Uh, I know. It was interesting, actually. My husband's heard me many times speak, and I, I thought, I'll focus on them, I'll look at them. And all I could see from Stephen were these enormous tears plopping down. I said, but why were you so emotional? You've heard it before. And he said, it's just the journey of, obviously, he's known me since I was 17, a long time ago, and just watching where you've got to and just the enormous audience and just, you know, I guess. And you just... met backpacking, is that right? I was, uh, I went away for a year. I was in Israel for a year. So I was living, I'd done six months on the kibbutz and then I was six months in Ashkelon. Why, why, why Israel? Did you have a, like a... Well, I'm Jewish, so I guess yeah, there's, cool. there's that. Um, I live in Giffnick, so... I, 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 okay. Oh, you're only up the road. I'm only in, yeah, literally up the road. I'm in Newlands. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bump into you now, wouldn't I? That'd be so funny. I'll see you at Morrison's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so... Um, it's a lot of North London kids take a year out and my kids have done a summer there and it's just a normal kind of thing to do. But I've never been there before. And it was at the time when I was really struggling um, with the trauma. My mum then discovered that we were all, I was doing a lot of drugs at that time. So she called all of my friends' parents to tell them what we were doing, which obviously was not very good. I wasn't very popular at school. And they just suggested, you know, getting your, going away, go to Israel or somewhere for a year just to get away from all the bad influences. And very so clever. That, that transformed your life, I guess. Well, yeah, because I met Stephen there, which obviously yeah. transformed my life. It's now 37 years later. So obviously still wow. together long time ago but uh, yeah it did because and also but then i could get immersed into that and do what i'd always done just push it further from my head and just enjoy that nobody needed to know what had happened to me so um it was it was a huge turning point and, and is such an amazing thing for anyone to do and i i worry that you know our kids or your kids probably their life is affected by the fact that, you know maybe won't be able to travel so readily and and, you know, yeah, you won't, but you know, my, my middle one is just on the North Coast 500. So mm -hmm. she said she doesn't know, and I'm the same. I don't think I would have gone to Lewis or Harris if I hadn't had uh, no, wouldn't be able to travel overseas. We had like, I, I like to travel. We do travel quite a lot. And I had more weddings actually planned, <laughs> one in Israel, <laughs> which I would have been there now this week. Um, but actually it, it works out okay because the wedding I was meant to be at the the mum is a really good friend of a friend of ours who actually just passed away on Monday and I went to see the husband and he said you know if lockdown hadn't happened everyone would have been away at the wedding and they'd never have all this outpouring of love and support that they've got going on now so yeah things work out how they're meant to do I think and there's always two ways to look at things right but if you try and find the positives in it then it makes you feel a lot yeah. better right yeah absolutely <laughs> I, always, I always try to look for the good I remember when I first gave a talk in Corby. There was an amazing man who spoke to me afterwards and he had been in the British Army. So on stage was also a guy called Spike who was from Glasgow. And he was speaking with Pat McGee, who was the ex-IRA bomber. So they became friends and they were talking, it was just about forgiveness. But this guy said to me, you know, um, every day may not be good, but there is good in every day. And that's what I kind of the check-ins that I was doing with people was to look for your good, to find your joy, even though everything else around us is really tough. Just go out and find one piece of good, one piece of joy. And you will. There will be something. And Monday's an appropriate day for people to be <laughs> to be doing that, right? Because yeah. people are quite depressed by work or whatever. And, uh, but then it just showed you every day just merged into one. So it's only a construct. The days don't mean anything, really, do they? I, was, I had this exact conversation with my wife this weekend, okay? Because I'm like... Um, you know, it's difficult because you're trying to find a balance. You start a business and you're trying to, it's overwhelming. You're trying to do social media stuff. You're trying to uh, write, you finish your business plan. It's coming together nicely. We've got like those people, whether it's clients, potential clients, etc. We're trying to engage with. We've got your mascara. <laughs> yeah, no, I can just see that. I don't know why that's gone. I'm just, excuse me, when I fix my makeup. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but then the construct of a Monday to Friday, that's nuts because I'm a farmer's son, right? Okay. So my dad would always be working, but he'd always be there with us, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. And he worked bloody hard, but at the same time when he was with us, he was able to engage and be a good dad, and, and he had so much love. But then, so I was like, well, I'm working on a Sunday, yes, but I do apologize. Maybe I've done too much, but at the same time, you know, let's just 
to have really focused time every day of the week right so it's, it's a balance really isn't it because now we have zoom i mean my mobile phone is like carrying a computer in your hand i can access all my emails i can do zoom from there i can do loads of stuff so we're never really away from work but i, I did i had to find a way to you know i would like nine o'clock at night whatever it's maybe quite late i would turn my phone off and try not to answer or i'd only do emails on a weekday so i did try to get some boundaries because then you're just on it all the time and you find it you ever tried this just to even like leave your phone or you're out to dinner or whatever just leave your phone at home and it's just the two of you out for dinner or well, it's quite hard to leave at home that would worry me but yeah it shows you how i am quite addicted to my phone i have to admit that um but then everyone is you're not alone right I'd yeah say. oh absolutely and then you know i think well I, because i've tried to think about it from a therapist point of view and i think it's because there's no ending so when you go onto social media there's, there's, it never stops you know you can just scroll and scroll and scroll whether it's instagram facebook whatever uh, you know if there was an actual end then you go okay that's me done but then just as you're about to close it you think oh that's interesting then you go back on and then yeah but then the, the other thing about that is that you know if you add up and i've done it before where i went on facebook when i was really young in my 20s so i've grown up with it and i was single at the time and i was traveling the world doing stuff and it's like it's fun you share the connection with friends meet people abroad connect mm -hmm. and it's like it's really constructive right but then then after time it becomes like i'm spending you know two hours a day on facebook and it's like i could learn a language i could uh, absolutely and then my wife's a teacher so she works in Salcoats, uh, you'll know like airshare sort of way and it's quite a quite a deprived school and and there was three suicides in two years yeah and of kids you know and it's like uh that's because they're being bullied around the clock, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, they're looking at other people's lives through a different lens. And, and that's the perception that they're giving out that their life's going great. But the reality is no one's life is as perfect as it is on Instagram. No. And, and you see girls and not, and guys like, like the pouts, the, the expression. Absolutely. My girls are included, you know, they, they live their life through Instagram. They don't really do Facebook so much, but yeah, Instagram. And when my youngest one at school, it was Snapchat and you get bullied through Snapchat because it's like stays for 20 seconds and then the image goes. So um, yeah, it's a bit scary for you when your kids are young and you've got all this to face, but yeah. I'm, but they, I'm confident that, that like my kids are like, my eldest is four, right? So by the time he gets to 14 or 13, a really vulnerable age, it's like, then that'll have been fixed. You know, 10 years is a long time. There'll be transformational okay. change. Maybe we won't do phones and maybe we'll just speak to each other. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice, right? Write yeah, <laughs> a letter. That would be good, wouldn't it? But then, but then those sort of retro things, they have their place. And it's like, even to get a letter from someone, a personalized card, it's like, wow, that person yeah. cares. Yeah, I send, I always like to send birthday cards. So I always, I have drawers full of cards. I always send cards. It's so nice to get a letter. Yeah, my handwriting's appalling. That's the only problem. Oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a thought, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what other insights do you have from lockdown about being a mom or uh, being a wife or being a, you know, whatever? Well, it just showed me really that um, it's my family and that's that's what's important at the end of the day. You know, I, I was upset because obviously all of my uh, career seemed to have ended overnight, but it, it's just changing. But really, I have another source of income, so I'm I'm really, I'm really okay, you know, it was, and if that was my the end of my speaking career because just in february before lockdown i came back from namibia i was a closing keynote at a conference for international speakers and i thought well, that's a good place to end if, if, if it is going to be the end but i really learned just to appreciate people and you i think it was a great leveler for me you saw what was important mm. and i learned that actually I really like my peace and quiet. I liked my house to myself. I'd got very used to it. So they were all home and I'm still trying to work, but they're all, you know, having fun, drinking gin, doing jigsaws. They're all of drinking age. And then eventually I had to join them. <laughs> you know, I, so I limited what I could do. I just one or two Zooms a day max because I was had Zoom fatigue. It was just too much. I was trying to do everything that I did before. And it just was exhausting. I think with all the stuff that it's stirred up inside but i think it's it's really interesting because we're still our lives are still restricted obviously not as much we can go out and eat out and i went to the cinema on saturday which was a waste of time i waited six months for the worst film anyway but um <laughs> yeah i think it shows you how adaptable we are none of us are in that traumatized like 
place that we were when we first went into lockdown because it was a lot of collective trauma as well even if it wasn't our own it was dealing with other people luckily in my house we only had one meltdown it involved an iced coffee and a jigsaw and that was it so we were we got on really well and it was really lovely to have the time with my girls again and to have them back and uh, my oldest one was away she lives with her fiance so um we didn't see her as much but now we can see her more often so it's okay but yeah it was good it was really good to actually spend that time so i i, I did get a bit resentful because Stephen went back to work he went back to golf and i i am home a lot uh so it's good to get out and, and do some things to make it feel not normal again because i don't think it will be normal how it used to be it's going to be different no, and, and even uh just you see people they're they're still scared and 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 I, I find it interesting that we walk down to even just the local Sainsbury's, Morrison's, whatever, on the on the street, and and people want to connect, and and they look. There's a more sense of community. You know, you talk about people talk about London and how in the trains people keep their head down. But in the past, I can imagine now there's probably actually a real buzz in the trains because in Glasgow, it's, it's quite. It was interesting in um in Lewis when we were away they were really, really scared to let tourists back in because they literally, they said they lived in a bubble. The ferry had closed, you know, they couldn't get off the island only for emergencies or, you know, the key workers they were letting off. So the ferry was very restricted. And so loads of cafes, restaurants were still closed. All the museums were shut. Um, when you go to a shop, there's only two people inside, everybody outside, all wearing a mask, so queues everywhere. Even in the street, most people wearing their masks in the street. So, um, I think they were very worried because they heard about the care homes in Sky all getting loads of deaths. Um, oh. And they were worried if it came across to the islands, everybody would know somebody in a care home because it's such a small community. So they're really just beginning to open up again. And they were, they were very nervous. Mm. And it's tough. And even they're still reliant on the mainland as well. So anything works. Yeah. And I think there's been small outbreaks in some islands and it's, it, you know, it's it's kind of obvious that it's come over in the ferry or whatever, and it's yeah. I think they've had seven cases and nobody's died yet, so you know, I guess it's quite a safe place to be. But then, I think it must be pretty claustrophobic as well if you can't get off and you're on an island. You're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now back to it. What's well, it? I'm trying to like instill like positive visions right so what's the first place you'll travel to internationally when you can go on a big holiday or something oh, well uh, i am very sport and every winter i always go to the caribbean and i have my wow. trip booked to saint lucia i've been about eight times in a row but i don't know if we'll be going that's december time like last year my husband and i because the kids no longer come away with us I said, let's just go a really big holiday just the two of us and we did something which we've never done before which was like a personalized tour because we booked it very last minute because my brother-in-law was having treatment and we didn't know when. So we did this trip and we went to Bali and Lombok. And so I have those memories. And I said, I don't know when we'd ever do a trip like that again. It was just beautiful. It was amazing. And the people were just so kind and generous and just very humble. You know, they blessed everything, everything. They said a prayer for everything. It was just the most amazing place I've ever been to. I loved it. So I don't know when we'll ever do big trips again. Who knows? And even just the, the expense and uncertainty, you book something and then you're worried about losing the money or yeah, just the inconvenience. So my daughter just went to Mallorca with her boyfriend. We know that he was going because he wanted to ask her the big question, but she had no idea. But they've come back and they both had to self-isolate for two weeks. He was off work for four weeks. So yeah. you know, it's not practical. It's not easy, you know. Did he, did he ask you in advance? Or, you know? He asked my husband and then I was told. <laughs> but yeah, he did. That yeah. was nice. They've been, they've been together a long time like 10 years so again they met when they were 17 so in Glasgow as well yeah she was the same different schools but same age yeah nice oh, that's cool no uh, it's uh it's like a, you've lived a really interesting life like I and you reminded me of a friend I'd met so when I was 17 mm -hmm. I met this uh, girl I worked on the farm with and she was 29 mm -hmm. and uh she, her name was Sylvia and uh she was 29 and she'd had Kind of similar to you, like that's why I'm so connected to your story. That it was like such a rough upbringing, but it was her father was was quite um, violent with her, you know, and from a young age, and 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 beat her really heavily, and and I don't think it was anything sexual as such. I'd hope not, but yeah, beat her really heavily, and she ran away from home at 16, uh, maybe even slightly younger than that, I think. And uh, but she had such spirit and fight, but then she turned to drugs. She became a drug dealer, 
and uh, yeah, so so entrepreneurial and driven, and 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 took care of herself, had to, and 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 it's like she told me all about her life story and 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 how how hard those teen years, the latter teen years, were in particular, and and then she eventually, at the age of twenty nine, got to study in in Liverpool. She studied Latin American studies because she loved uh, Latino culture. Okay. And 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 so she worked on this farm with me and. And uh, she was such a phenomenal person just because she, you know, you look at her, she's covered in tattoos and piercings and things, but she, uh, she just had such an ability to just say, you know, fuck it. I'm going to make the most of this Absolutely. day irrespective Absolutely. of and, and, and she's incredible. And, and she unfortunately just kind of went on to have a bit of a, a difficult life, you know, obviously just because I don't know, like traumas and, and maybe relapses into drugs, et cetera. And, and I, I find it difficult to keep in touch with her because well, I, I never, you know, I was young and I lived my life and, and went on with my career and we were just this passing moment in time where we became friends. But she reached out to me a few times to ask for money and, and I sent her money, just gave her some money, you know, remotely. Uh, she said, James, can you help me? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm a student or I'm a, I'm a, what can I do? And I just, I sent her money, but then it's like, you know, part of the problem then if you, if she had problems. So I'd, I kind of at a stage where now I'm I'm established in life. I've got my wife and two kids, three third on way, and 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 a business, and it's like got so much stuff going on with my family and my family back home. And it's how difficult it is. To, you know, you want to solve all the world's problems, but like, where do you stop? You know, <laughs> well, you can only do what you can only do, and that's what you just have to prioritize. You know, and your family is your priority. Definitely, and and I'm so lucky. They're so healthy and happy, and and even. It's been interesting that even the like seeing the toddlers like how they behaved in lockdown and and it's a consequence of how we we did as well you know like they're you put them in front of Disney Plus for for a full day because the two of us were working then it's inevitable you're going to get tantrums and and uh, they're going to be oh, I, I'm so grateful that my kids were not little I just could not cope I think I mean if I had to do homeschooling or anything like that it would be tough it would be really it, the three kids that was a handful when you, you grew up was it. Yes and no. I mean, I, I, you know, when I met Stephen, I told him I would never become a mum because I was terrified of giving birth. I just thought it was going to be, you know, a violation, like being raped again. And then I, that's when I really turned my life around when I became a mum and I called it my best revenge that if I, you know, if I didn't become a mum, then they'd won really. And and I didn't want them to win. So I was determined to become a mum, obviously, which I got through. So, uh, no, I was always... What a phenomenal, what a phenomenal way to to phrase it as my best revenge. Is that your own thought or was that someone else's? No, it was actually when I was writing my book and I was working with my editor, Joe said that really was your best revenge and I'd never Mm. looked at it before. And so that chapter is called my best revenge or motherhood or something. But yeah, you know, I, what I don't speak about in the TEDx is that my dad was a Holocaust survivor. Wow. He really was my greatest teacher because he had his parents, his brothers and sisters, his youngest brother was only six. They were all killed in Auschwitz where they were all murdered and if you met my dad, you'd never have known, you know, he loved life. He used to muck about, he used to be, play practical jokes all the time. You'd go to bed and there'd be a hairbrush under your duvet or he'd take your dinner <laughs> plate away when he'd made the phone ring, you know, pretend there was a call for you. He just was always mucking about. But he really showed me, not by what he said, but how he lived his life, that yeah, we, we can really get past anything. And it's the attitude that we bring to everything. It's... Oh. Um, it, it is 100%, well, okay, 90, 10% what happens and then 90% your attitude of what you do with it. So it, it, we are very capable of turning things around um, because it's, as I say, it's not what happens, it's what we do with it. That's what really matters. And my dad showed me that many times by how he lived his life. Can I ask how long he lived till? Or did he live until his Well, he, we thought he lived to 70, but actually he lived to 75. So when he was fleeing Nazi Germany after the end of the war, they were taking young people out on trains. And he was born in 1923, which would have made him 18 when the war was going on, which we couldn't, it would have made him 13, which we couldn't understand, you know, why how he could have got through all of that. But he changed his date of birth to 1928. It's very easy to change a three to an eight, which made him 18. And that made more sense that he had more maturity. And I think when he came to this country, he was always scared of changing it back. The authorities would find out. So he just left it as 1928, but we didn't find out until he died. So he had five years longer. 
You're the joker. He's a joker, right? You just like to gag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. But you know, he, he just loved life. And I show, showed me that life is really for living. You know, life, there's a lot of stuff happens to a lot of people. There's a lot of shitty stuff. But ultimately, we're okay. We really are okay. You know, when I was really struggling, I had so much PTSD and so many fears. I really took a hold of myself one day and I had to look at my fears and I saw that all of my fears were based on what had already happened or based on what could happen based on my past but none of it was happening right here right now in that moment and I just try now just to as much as possible live in that moment because when you are really there and grounded and connected you're okay there's, no, there's nothing going on in that moment. And that we, we do like management consultancy work. So we, we try and help people, organizations and, and people essentially like find a sense of purpose, you know, mm-hmm. but you've got such a phenomenal sense of purpose because yeah. you help so many people because, it, it, you know, although people probably can't um, relate and you'd hope they wouldn't be able to relate to being raped. But well, sadly, too many people can relate, which, but, it, but it's not the reason why I share it because it does obviously resonate with other people. But yeah, a lot of people it resonates with more than you would really realize but then that that's that story and and you know you know like i say you know that's the extreme that you've lived to but anyone could take inspiration for what you've done anyone with an anxiety anyone with a you know a hang up about their past or a lack of confidence it's like, so because it is all our attitude and our mindset and our belief system you know my i just had really bad mindset and that negative chatter for years and eventually i realized it is you know, we're not really our mind. Our mind is not always our friend. Um, if we cut our mind open, you know, it doesn't bleed. So, you know, what is our mind? So you have to really learn not to listen to it. So I had to learn not to listen to it for a long time because it was the trauma that was speaking to me. It wasn't really my mind. The, the chimp paradox, is that right? That you yeah. heard that book or you read the book? Yeah. And it's that sort of stuff, right? You have this voice inside your head all the time. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And that... Uh, oh. My youngest son, actually. Sorry. Oh, hello. <laughs> the camera, actually. Right. Len, you okay? Yeah. Sorry, Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> no. Lorraine, come up. It's quick. No, well, come on. Please. <laughs> That's cute. You okay? Hi. <laughs> hello. <laughs> she lives in there. Yeah. Oh, Newland, it's just a long uh, road. Yeah, and the road, isn't that funny? No, no, I bump into you now, that's why I said I'll see you in Morrison's or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. When is the next one due? In five weeks. Oh, exciting. Yeah, it's getting a wee bit I've real. I've three, three girls. I've got three. Three girls, I don't do boys. I have a dog, he's a boy. <laughs> well, I'm kind of hoping we've got a chilled out sleeping girl, but that's probably Aww. not going to be the case. Your third time is easier, you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Hope so. You escaped. Oh, you escaped. Right. I'll leave you to it. Leave you to it. <laughs> See you. <laughs> oh. That was a nice interruption. Uh, yeah. So what's next? A book? Would you do another book? Would you do another? I don't know. You know, when I decided to write my memoir, um, I really felt it inside. It was really like alive. Um, I had written something down. I've been going to see a teacher of life I guess you would call him a shaman for many many years he really encouraged me to write my story down he said just write down all the details what happened blah blah and that took me about four years to write 12 pages every time I stopped and started up there's my dog going now my interruption every time I stopped and started it was all the shame and all the guilt and all of that just came pouring out but I did eventually and it was like my fingers went into automatic so when I made the decision to write my story down, really I was just writing it down for me. It was the same process. I just saw all my words kind of flying around in my head and I just sat down at my Mac here every morning and within about eight weeks it was done. So right now I don't feel anything growing inside, but I guess you never know. And I used to- Did you write about your grandfather or you know, write just dig more into any element as a different slant on your story, if you like, you know? Say that again. Like more about your grandfather or about, you know, his, his, the Holocaust experience. Oh, he was my dad, not my grandfather. Sorry. Apologies, sorry. That's okay. Uh, well, I, well, I do include a chapter about my parents. So I, that really pleases me that my dad's story is in there because other people will get to know about Leo Geddy and what he went through. So I'm grateful that that is in there. Um, because no, I think... You know, sorry to interrupt. Uh, you know, the really cool thing at the moment, like you have such a good community of followers, I guess, right? And you could almost say... 
like here's three topics which one do you want me to write about and you can engage in social media right and and, yeah. and like you see it happen all the time now like uh, brew dog they do it really like loads the brew beer company uh, yes yes so they go here's three beer labels which one do you like the most mm-hmm. and you then it's like well, go and write the book it's different doing a label <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right you're right but it's like it's that feedback process right yeah. and, and then and it's more likely to be a success if people have said that that's a winner uh, I have thought actually the idea has come to me about doing my own podcast because I am a guest on many podcast shows like yourself and the idea of calling it unbroken so to speak to people that have been through stuff but have come out and they're thriving and to get yeah. their tips to help others and what is it that helped them or you know just I just thought that might be of interest I'm actually my website has just been taken over by another company that's hosting it for me so i'm due to speak to them this week whether it's best to do it like this via video or whether it's best to do it as an audio or you know just put it on my youtube page so yeah so that is something i'm thinking about one of our one of the guys in our company he's well you'll see loads of stuff on the internet about it but he's a digital master he's doing all the editing and stuff and the branding and our website and uh, you'll do you send you an email with loads of tips if you want on it. Okay, the, uh, be very interested. So yeah, I will get them to do all the editing and to do any kind of a, intros, outros, and graphics and stuff. So uh, there's yeah. platforms that can kind of send it all to loads of different channels because there's loads of different podcast hosts such as iTunes and uh, Spotify. So when you do this one, and now we're getting off topic here, do you just do it as an, you do it as visual and audio? Um, we're kind of working on different formats, but we want to do audio only probably to go on the website. Mm-hmm. And then I like the idea and where it's up for debate. There's three of us in business together, so okay. it'll, it'll be a debate. But we like, um, we, you know, the visual aspect's important and it's like little trailers that you can take an extract. Mm-hmm. So maybe just a, a one minute soundbite from you. Okay. And then, so the two of us are on video and then it kind of, it's a different form of engagement really. Some people like a visual thing and, and like a wee tip that's a minute long. Others want to listen to a two-hour podcast, and not everyone does. And you want to try and cater for as many people as possible. It's a long time, I think, isn't it? Two hours, but yeah. Yeah, but it's not so like Joe Rogan. He would go for three hours, you know. And and obviously, he's one of the best in the world. But uh-huh. not and not everyone, uh, you know, has the time. Who has three hours to listen to a podcast? You know, we were when we we're driving around the Outer Hebrides. We listened to a few audiobooks, and we listened to one of Louis Theroux's. We've got to get through this. And it was 13 hours, but actually wow. we, we did it in our week that, week that we were there. Yeah, 10 days we were away. And, and then we did you know, TED Talks, another coach that we've got a mentor, uh, he, he did uh, TED Talks. Uh, Bob Keeler, the values, talks about values. And he's, yeah. he's I think it's one of my favorite talks of all time just because okay. uh, it's what I do as my day job really. But he, uh, he told me that the, you know, it's 18 minutes for a TED Talk. That's what gets the most engagement. Yeah, ours were 10 minutes. So we, they were strict in Glasgow. Yeah, and, and if, it's, if it goes on for 30 minutes, then it's less likely. I think people may look at it and go, 30 minutes, don't have the time. Yeah. Next, uh, 10 minutes is a nice sort of snappy yeah. thing. So even a podcast, you know, you, you, I don't know, I could talk for hours and listen to it for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, uh, you wonder whether... You know, you shoot yourself in the foot. Maybe you should just do like a 30 minute, really punchy. I think I would do that. Even 20 minutes, half an hour max, and that's it. Yeah, and your daily, like like your daily touch, but your daily check-in thing, it's a similar sort of philosophy, isn't it? You're... And I just have met so many amazing people with so many amazing stories that I just want to get their stories out there just to show people as well. So one of the things I'm involved with is with a woman called Emma Bell. It's called the Global Resilience Project. Mm. And she's interviewed 50 of us. She calls her 50 Thrivers. And she's literally traveled the world thousands of miles, like 35,000 miles. And she's interviewed 50 people that she now considers are thriving. And she takes our tips from us. Wow. She put together a book called Nine Secrets to Thriving, and she wants to kind of make like a blueprint for mental health, for businesses, just for people. And she wow. said, We don't all do all nine things, but we all do three or four of the things. And I'm intrigued as well, you know, because I don't think I set out to do this, but something in me just always drove me to clean up. To, you know, I knew that I had to get past this otherwise it was going to be a shadow over my life forever and so you're I, so grateful to your grandfather in a way right maybe there's other influences there obviously but to to have that yeah. like that north star if you like that you're like wow absolutely. he absolutely and my mum as well not just my dad you know my mum had her neck broken in an operation years ago and was bedridden for wow. a few years and i'm one of five and she saw that life was passing by and so she 
was listening to a radio and heard a hypnotherapist and she went to meet this man and used self-hypnosis to cure herself and get better. So both of my parents were really, I think, super survivors. So it was interesting when I was writing the book, um, I had read a book called Super Survivors and I contacted, there was a joint, two writers, two guys, and I said, is it an inherited thing? Do I have a gene? He said, not necessarily, there's not enough research. But what he believes is, is that what we see and what we learn from other people, that has a huge influence. So by me seeing my dad and my mum surviving traumatic events, but actually living a good life, showed me there's every possible way that I could do it as well. Wow. That's impressive. I, I just think your story's uh, so impressive and you deserve to have your stage and, and be able to help so many other people. You're really, uh, you're a really cool person as well. Thanks, <laughs> uh, like Even that format, since you like this so much, right? You know, the, you could write a book about other people's stories. So it's like less about your, your stories unbroken. Yes. And then your next book might just be about, you know, finding other people that were unbroken and, and, like in the same way that the thrive, the thrive story. Yeah, came. well, maybe you can take it from the podcast. We'll see how that goes, and then just yeah. yeah. And do you think? Do you find there's a stat, and I don't know if it's true, like all stats, but it's like eighty uh, percent of books that are published don't it never get read. You know, so you print a book and it never gets read. Or if they say if you sell more than five hundred, you're doing well. So I'm doing okay. I've sold more than five hundred, but uh, yeah. Got, well, get another one out of me, and I'll send it to other people for Christmas. So I'll do that. I promise. <laughs> well, you know, so many books are published and I get sent so many as well, but I do have tons of books, but I, I'll never read all the books that I have. I've got so many as e-books, so many physical books, uh, because publishers will send me some or ask me to, you know, endorse them for them, but I, I'll never read all the books that I have. Mm. Uh, it's going to take a long time and I read quite a lot. I read one or two books a week, but I still mm. will never mm. read them all. Never. It's the joys of having grown up kids, right? But I tend, I tend to like, uh, you know, because you're, maybe it's a sign of my generation or I'm slightly, I'm actually slightly, I am dyslexic, but mm-hmm. you take a book and it's like, I go to the contents page. I like business books and self-help books. So I go to the contents page, go, I get this principle. Wow. You know, if it's well laid out, I can zip through a book and scan read it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to write a business plan where I've got so many books that were taking bits from different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I don't have the time, you know, young kids, uh, sleep deprivation, you know different things i could listen to podcasts for 30 minutes i could yeah well you could listen to an audiobook yeah i do bits of that i've listened to one audiobook that was so critical to our thinking five times i've listened to it so much i love it Uh, and it's like um there's certain books that are key but then there's there's an infinite number of books it's and there's like um i don't know but then i've i've always liked books and i've always flicked through books and read books at times when i had time to do it and some books have transformed, changed my, my way of thinking. Absolutely. Been... I, well, I always have a book on the go and I always read book just before I go to sleep or wake up first thing in the morning or have it's a little... It's a habit to have, right? Yeah, it's, it's a habit now. And Kindle or would you do... I do both. Well, my husband generally goes to bed before me, so he's normally snoring in the sleep. So I need my Kindle in bed. Uh, but when I was aware, I took some physical books with me as well and we did a few audios. So yeah, um, I'm not, I don't mind one over the other. I'm, I'm trying to solve the problem of... Like you wake up, we're obviously in business now with friends and it's like you wake up in the middle of the night, like that's a good idea. And then it's like, just to try and write that idea down so I go back to sleep. I'm trying to find a pen that lights up so I can write down in the night and not wake anyone. <laughs> yes, I know. Or you can take notes on your phone, but then that lights up as well. Yeah, and I, I try and not have the phone in the bedroom. Just so no, 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 I must stand on the floor. I think I was, I'd never get to sleep. I'd be on it. It's because then there's so many people all around the world that are awake when you're awake. Yes. And you're like, isn't it fun engaging with people and uh, and then you feel addicted to speaking to them and it's it's a bad habit that you no no, no. I, I, I did try it with all my girls to make sure that the you know when they were looking we could turn the wi-fi off but now they've all got 4g whatever but we would make them leave their laptops and their phones outside their door but now i can't do it they're all adults so i'm just not sure lockdown you know my youngest one's 19 i'd go for a pee in the night there'd be three four in the morning she'd still be on her facetiming or zoom parties or quizzes or chatting to friends or and they're all international citizens as well your daughters i guess so, yes. yeah yeah or just people in the uk they're just chatting you know or i think a load of kids because it was tough i think if you're that age i'm grateful that she had finished school and she you know didn't not do her highs and she didn't not get her grad ball she did all those things i think mm. Her sixth year was her best year, so it's, I think, really hard for young people that missed out on that. 
And does she have a clear focus that she knows what she wants to do? Or is she uh, is, wants to do theatre and performance, and she is. Wow. She's going to Leeds to study. I'm taking her down on the 19th of September. Um, mm. Who knows what the arts world will look like in three years' time, whether we'll still have theatres or not, I don't know. But then, but then it might be a phenomenally good time to get into it. because That's what I said. You could be now grassroots, starting a new uh, culture of how we view theatre or arts. That's yeah. what I said. It's actually a really good exciting. She had to pick her modules the other day, and I think she picked one about planning festivals. And I said, this could be great. You could be like involved with online festivals or... Did you hear like Chris Evans talk about even drive-in cinemas, you know, like, you know, big fields where cars can go drive in and you sit there with the family watching a movie. Uh, and it and comes like, through the, the Bluetooth on your speakers. Yeah, and all, all that, you know, it's like, so things will change so fast, I would thought. And, yeah. But, uh, I went to the, the cinema on Saturday night and it was pretty soulless, you know, somebody takes you to your seat now and you have to wait till the end of the film and then they do it row by row and you chuck your rubbish out. You went to the town, is it the Everyman Cinema, is that what it's called? I went, no, I went to the quay with the big comfy chairs. Oh, nice. Uh, But it was, yeah, it was very empty, obviously. It wasn't the same and I think, I don't know how they're going to survive. It just affects so many, so many businesses, doesn't it? And it's really sad and and it's such a cinema, such a phenomenal medium as well. I love it. Like, um, yeah, well, we would go like once a week. We used to see tons yeah. of films. New Bond movie, that's what we were excited by. So we're getting a babysitter started for that. Uh, so hopefully we can sneak a Bond movie in before Judy. <laughs> Good. Well, you've got five weeks, so get your act together. <laughs> And uh, thank you very much. That's probably good life advice that I should take and end the podcast on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go and see a Bond movie. Yeah, always. Get my life together. I was, I was no, no, sure. it was a Bond movie, not get your life together. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it was immense speaking to you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to your next TED Talk as well. Oh, hopefully. You never know. You never know. Yeah, but uh, thanks very much. Take care. You're welcome. See you. Enjoy the rest Bye. of your week. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mostly Talk. Next time I'll be chatting with Breton Putter, author of Culture Deck Decoded and his new book, Own Your Culture. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. Find us online at mostly.consulting. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not leave us a review or tell a friend? 